0: It is ten fourteen a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the twentieth day of July. God, man, this year is just zooming by. The year is, of course, twenty twenty three, and this is episode seven hundred and fifty nine of Bitcoin and Let's hear from our sponsor in the Circle P, or well, our vendor anyway. Today's vendor of the Circle P is Dubravko. That is, you can get them at at Oak Grove over there on uh, Noster and he sells black soldier fly larvae live larvae that you will use to propagate black soldier fly I was supposed to bring you a full show on black soldier fly last week but of course a brief stint uh, to the emergency room and a uh, a surgery later uh yeah it's it's not done it's it's, it's not done yet uh, I have been kind of combing through some uh, oh Scientific papers about some of the uh, nuances of like, you know, eh, how much magnesium, how much calcium is involved in these things. Because what you want to do with these things is you you really want them to reduce your kitchen waste and any other waste that you have. Honestly, if it's organic, uh, like, you know, I wouldn't throw a piece of, you know, plastic in there because they're not going to eat that. But anything that is coming out of your kitchen, like old bones, like uneaten food cooked uncooked it it really doesn't matter to these guys once you have a colony of these things grown in a bin you just throw all your shit in there and all of a sudden it kind of all gets turned to frass and i'll explain more about that when i finally get to do the show but um this dubrovko or at oak grove is where you're going to get the larva to start the this colony with in most places you can start your colony yourself just <clears throat> simply by you know putting up some some cardboard, which I'll get into in the show. This is how I did it. But there was one time in Canyon where I was completely, Canyon, Texas, where I was completely unable to get soldier flies to propagate all by themselves. In such cases, you're definitely going to want to get some live larvae. After this is all said and done, the greatest thing about black soldier flies is that they self-harvest if you do it right. Again, that, that'll be part of the show. These things are nutritious, not for humans, for animals, okay? You feed them to, you know, larger fish. You feed them chickens, love them. I don't know about ducks. I can't imagine that a duck wouldn't eat them, but they are a high source of fat. They're a high source of protein. They've got a shit ton of minerals. Like calcium percentages are like 6% calcium. That's one of the reasons why chickens like them so much because that calcium helps them build the shells around their eggs when they're laying Um, but Jabrovko is where you're going to want to get them. He's in the, uh, Dallas Fort Worth area. Uh, he will ship them to you. You'll have to work that out with him again. It's at Oak Grove on Noster. His in pub, if you can't find it that way, will be in the show notes under the circle P heading now, (laughs) speaking of now fed now it's coming. It's here, apparently. Federal Reserve officially launches instant payments system known as FedNow. Bitcoin magazine Nick Hoffman breaks it down. In an announcement Thursday morning, the Federal Reserve unveiled its instant payment system, the FedNow, trademark service. It has officially gone live. This tool aims to empower banks and credit unions of all sizes to facilitate instantaneous money transfers for their customers The Federal Reserve claims that FedNow transactions can be executed 24-7, 365 days a year. To start, 35 banks and credit unions, alongside the United States Department of Treasury's Bureau of Fiscal Service, are among those already equipped to handle payments through the FedNow service. Furthermore, a lineup of 16 service providers are poised to offer payment processing support for banks and credit unions. Quote, The Federal Reserve built the FedNow service, to help make everyday payments over the coming years faster and more convenient, said Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell. Quote, over time, as most banks choose to use this new tool, the benefits to individuals and businesses will include enabling a person to immediately receive a paycheck or a company to instantly access funds when an invoice is paid, end quote. When asked if the Fed Now Service is attempting to replace cash, And if it was a central bank digital currency or not, the Federal Reserve stated, no, the FedNow service is not related to a digital currency. The FedNow service is a payment service that the Federal Reserve is making available for banks and credit unions to transfer funds for their customers. It is like other Federal Reserve payment services such as FedWire and FedACH, the FedNow service is neither a form of currency, nor a step toward eliminating any form of payment, including cash, end quote. A comprehensive list of early adopters already equipped with instant payment capabilities can be found in an attached document. Further information can be found on the Federal Reserve Financial Services website. Let's see what's in that document. Early adopters are First Source Bank, Aiden, Avidia Bank, BNY Mellon, Bridge Community, Bryant Bank, Community Bank of the Bay, Consumers Cooperative. Let's see if... Yeah, JP Morgan Chase is here. Uh North American Banking Company, People's Bank. Let's see who else is over here. Wells, Far- yeah, Wells Fargo is part of it. And let's see. Uh, anything else of note? No, nope. I don't see. There's a couple of people on here that I would expect to be on here that aren't. Ah. Okay. Well, Wells Fargo is indeed part of it. And of course, the U.S. Bank and U.S. Department of the Treasury's Bureau of Fiscal Services, as you might imagine. All right. So FedNow is here and FedNow is in operation. According to Jerome Powell, it is not a CBDC, nor is it a pathway to get to a CBDC. Do we believe them? Because this sounds like a rail for a CBDC. And this is, honestly, if I was going to do such a thing, this is how I would build it, build it out. I would build a rail, and then I would figure out how to build a CBDC to use that rail. And so the CBDC is, is coming at one point or another. This is the end game. Once they have control of your ability to do transactions, you're done. You know that, that whole thing with communists and seize the means of, of uh, production? Yeah, you ain't seen nothing like this. They, in their wildest dreams, the communists would never be able to think up such an insidious... I mean, it, this is even worse than whatever, whatever communist regime in history has ever thought up. This is worse because it's not the means of production. It's the final transaction. It's the final pass-off between anything... That was done in a for because of a means of production to the final consumer that's that's the that's the last link in the chain once you cut that link it doesn't matter if you've got if you've seized the means of production, it does not matter. You seize the means of transactions once you have that, you basically have everything so fed now and Jerome Powell, while stating that they're not a CBDC, this is is bad, and you should endeavor not to use it. Right now, it's definitely not going to be for retail, but your banks are going to start using it. And that list that I just was telling you about, yeah, that shit's going to grow and grow and grow and grow, and it's going to be fast. So you're going to have to watch out for all of that bullshit. Now, moving on to Kuwait. who seem to be fascinated with loading a clip of ammunition into a gun and shooting themselves into a foot. Kuwait bans crypto and virtual asset transactions. Cointelegraph, Helen Parts. The state of Kuwait is the latest jurisdiction to ban virtually all operations involving cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. On July the 18th, Kuwait's main financial regulator, the Capital Markets Authority, issued a circular on the supervision and and issuance of virtual assets in the country. In the circular, the CMA confirmed the commitment to absolute prohibition on major use cases and operations involving cryptocurrencies, including payments, investments, and mining. The circular also bans local regulators from issuing any licenses, allowing firms to provide virtual asset services as a commercial business. In the meantime, Securities and other financial instruments regulated by the Central Bank of Kuwait and the CMA are excluded from the latest prohibitions the announcement notes. Apart from these prohibitions, the CMA also required customers to be cautious and aware of the risks associated with virtual assets. The regulator particularly flagged cryptocurrencies arguing that they don't carry a legal status and are not issued nor supported. The CMA added The penalties for violating Kuwait's anti-money laundering laws are stipulated in Article 15 of Law No. 106 of 2013, the regulator noted. Kuwait's new regulations align with the country's measure to combat money laundering and, of course, terrorist financing, the regulator stated. The CMA also referred to the conclusions of a study by the National Committee for Combating Money Laundering and Financing of Terrorism regarding the commitment to applying Recommendation 15 by the Financial Action Task Force. According to local reports, the CMA's crypto restrictions are part of a new interdepartmental crypto ban involving several supervisory authorities in Kuwait. Similar circulars have reportedly been issued by the central bank of Kuwait, the ministry of commerce and industry and the insurance regulatory unit. So only their own digital assets are excluded from this blanket ban on anything else. So this, it's, just exactly what you would expect. There's no surprise here, but please understand that Judge Annalisa Torres's judgment on the XRP ruling. We've got Fed now coming out. We've got Greenpeace back to ramping up their rhetoric against Bitcoin itself. This is all coordinated. All right, that Greenpeace thing. In case I didn't say it, did you notice the timing of that? It was a, a, well, if if anything in that video that you saw where they were projecting bad news about Bitcoin onto buildings on the uh, Manhattan skyline, bridges, buildings, you name it. That's what the video showed, that well, your Bitcoin is bad, it uses more electricity than the Netherlands, blah, 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 the same bullshit, except that you've got big projectors. These things take lots of wattage. It's not, you're not going to go rent one of these projectors, you know, the projectors over at your college or your university that you use to, you know, to check out and project the soccer game on your, your, your apartment wall. No, no. These are professional rigs. You have to contract to get these things set up. It takes a crew of people to be able to map out the, the face of the building Right. This isn't. This isn't a. This isn't a bunch of teenagers pulling a prank. This is a heavily funded, heavily coordinated, and had to have been pre-planned. So, how did they know what Annalisa Torres's uh, decision was going to be? Because that's what I think happened. I think they knew what was going to happen. They knew that the XRP decision was going to put pressure on Bitcoin. To add further to that pressure on Bitcoin, they went out and had this whole thing set up. How did they know? It's not a coincidence. This is collusion. It's collaboration. These people are not to be trusted. Of course, you already know that. Somebody else in history who has not been trusted or was not trusted was Copernicus. And there is a, a slightly older article from Bitcoin Magazine that I want to read to you now, written by Bitcoin Graffiti. Copernicus's Lost Secret, The Quantity Theory of Money. In the Annals of History, Nicholas Copernicus, Copernicus is celebrated as the groundbreaking astronomer who toppled the geocentric view and unveiled the heliocentric model, placing the sun at the center of our solar system. However, There is a lesser-known facet of Copernicus's genius that remains shrouded in obscurity, his profound contribution to monetary thought. While his astronomical achievements have captivated generations, his insight into the nature of money and its effects on economies have largely been overlooked. As the medieval era drew to a close, marked by transformative inventions like the Gutenberg printing press and the disruptive force of gunpowder, Copernicus's groundbreaking work challenged not only the prevailing astronomical beliefs, but also the accepted notions of money. The emergence of the printing press ushered in an era of unprecedented knowledge dissemination, gradually eroding the information monopoly of the Catholic Church. Concurrently, the widespread adoption of gunpowder rendered knights and their armor powerless, signifying the decline of the feudal system. Amid this backdrop of change, Copernicus emerged as a visionary, his mathematical calculations eventually proving that Earth was not the center of the universe. While we may look back on our geocentric ancestors and marvel at their supposed ignorance, we must acknowledge that most of us are quite incapable of proving that Helios proving the heliocentrism ourselves. We generally accept the current belief. If that is true, mustn't there be obvious things we could be missing today? What if our assumptions about money, the lifeblood of economies, are flawed as well and the study of economics is still in its infantile stage? Perhaps, just as Copernicus shattered the prevailing astronomical narrative, we are on the cusp of an intellectual revolution that will expose the shortcomings of contemporary monetary belief. It is here, amid these profound reflections, that Copernicus's hidden expertise in monetary matters resurfaces. Unbeknownst to many, this visionary mind not only revolutionized our understanding of the heavens, but also made lasting contributions to the field of monetary thought. Born in 1473, Copernicus was a citizen of Prussia, now part of modern-day Poland, and lived most of his life in Fromburg, where the polymath was employed in the royal court as an accountant and advisor on monetary reform after King Sigismund I requested him to look at the nation's deprecating currency. His first monetary contribution was to strengthen a theory we now know, know as Gresham's Law, the law describes that when there are two currencies in circulation and the government decrees a fixed exchange rate, the bad money drives out the dearer money. In such a scenario, it is profitable to exchange the debased coin and hoard the harder one. In 1526, his findings were bundled into a booklet titled Monete Cunede Ratio, or The Monetary Minting Ratio. Copernicus opened his treatise in hiking style, emphasizing the serratipitous nature of monetary degradation. Quote, Although there are innu- innumerable plagues by which kingdoms, principalities, and republics tend to decline, yet these four, in my judgment, are the most powerful. Discord, mortality, the barrenness of the land, and cheapness of money. The first three are so evident that no one knows that it is so, but the fourth, as regards money, is considered by a few and only by the most earnest because it did not happen all at once. But gradually, in a kind of secret way, it overthrew republics by reason. Therefore, money is like a measure of some common estimation. It is necessary, however, that what should be a measure should always be firm and maintain a state of order. Otherwise, it is necessary to confuse the organization of the Republic and to defraud the buyers and sellers in many ways, as if the cubit does not hold a certain weight. Quote. In a pressing tone, he argued for a repair of currency to destroy the old and bring full-weighted silver coins back into circulation. Prussia had just suffered a war and subsequent currency debasement. The amount of copper in the coin increased at the expense of the precious metal and finally reduced the money to pathetic puce pennies. Since a fixed exchange rate was in force, it it became more profitable to melt down the coin and extract the silver. In the end, precious currency became worthless, leaving the inhabitants unable to trade abroad since nobody would accept the tangled money. The good money was gone, hoarded, melted, and exported, a Gresham's Law by Example. Though this mechanic was previously known to other civilizations, Copernicus was the first European to properly pin it down. Unfortunately for Prussia, the king did not heed his advice. Murray Rothbard, the American economist of the Austrian school, even claimed that the Polish polymath theorized an early version of the quantity theory of money. Rothbard summarized Copernicus' thoughts in Economic Thought before Adam Smith, Volume 1, The causal chain began with debasement, which raised the quantity of the money supply, which in turn raised prices. The supply of money is the major detriment of prices. We, in our sluggishness, do not realize that the dearness of everything is the result of the cheapness of money, for prices increase and decrease according to the condition of the money, quote. While contemporary man is still monetarily illiterate, Copernicus, half a millennium ago, already elegantly theorized a linear relationship between the money and market prices. Somehow, we take our unit of account to be fixed in supply and never conclude that higher prices are the result of currency deprecation. This geocentric paradigm well it's it's hard to detach from this immersive and slanted point of view today qtm is a quantitatively defined in fisher's formula here the money supply m multiplies the average velocity v equals the sum of all transactions in the economy q times their respective price p Given that spending behavior remains stable, the velocity, and goods and services production remains level, we conclude that an increase in the money supply varies directly with all prices in the economy. Subsequently, let's highlight that price P is a vector of all prices which individually respond differently to inflation, but on average increase linearly with the money supply. For example, a digital service might decline during monetary expansion through technological deflation, while scarce real estate appreciates. This is a point not lost on Michael Saylor, CEO of MicroStrategy and the largest corporate holder of Bitcoin, as shown when he responded in a tweet to Keynesian Paul Krugman in May 2021 on monetary expansion, quote, "Inflation is a vector. A scalar index can be biased by choosing certain items. Your index assumes human beings don't need food, energy, or home ownership, nor desire assets such as property, equity," bonds, or commodities, it's obvious much of the inflation has been in assets, End quote. Copernicus basically finished De Revolutionibus Orbium Solestrum in 1532, but only published his heliocentric thesis on his deathbed in 1543, fearing the church's scorn. The seed had been sown, but the theory took flight a century later following the arrival of the spyglass, Galileo Galilei was an early telescope adopter who produced the first anomalous celestial observations that could only be explained by embracing the Copernicus paradigm. Rejection is easy in the absence of appliances that falsify the current model. Heliocentrism remained merely an abstract idea prior to telescopy, But then... What about Copernicus's monetary findings? Did we simply lack the tools to turn this view into reality? With Bitcoin still in its early days, it appears that Copernicus is still way ahead of Keynesian economists and could be considered a Bitcoiner avant la lettre. Whatever the hell that means. (laughs) Bitcoin, with its fixed supply of 21 million coins, is a digital telescope for anyone willing to peer deeply into the economic machine. We may now all observe what the polymaths of yesteryear have been saying all along. That a sound economy revolves around sound money. And although it may be designed by humans, Bitcoin shines bright as the natural center we've all been searching for. For this time might be the proper place where simple monetary laws will refuse to remain obscure any longer. Quote, at rest, however, in the middle of everything is the sun, end quote, Copernicus. So I had no idea that Copernicus had anything to do with monetary thought. You probably didn't either. Thankfully, people like Bitcoin Graffiti are out there to educate us further. But what the, what does this sound like? Who else? Who else was deep, knee deep, neck deep, forehead deep into the sciences, and yet was also fascinated by money? Newton, the guy who brought you modern physics and calculus, right? He was a physician, for lack of a better term. Yet he was also the head guy at the Royal Mint. He had the same, he had very much the same view of Copernicus, except that Newton came centuries later. What is it about money and science that fascinates, that, that, that drags in the people that are interested in science? What is it about money that, that becomes fascinating to these guys as well? Newton was so fascinated with it. It was his fucking job. He was the the master of the royal mint. He was knee-deep in economic theory. And all of a sudden, now we just find out, well, guess what? Copernicus was an accountant. What's going on here? What's going on? I can't answer that question. I posit that question to you so that you can chew on that. What the hell is going on why are all these physicists and, and telescope guys and, and the dude that comes up with the heliocentric model of the solar system, that's pure base, hard science. And yet at least two of the three are knee deep in economics. I don't know, man. I don't know. Seems, seems kind of weird, but thank God for a uh, Copernicus and Newton anyway. The United States law protects institutions but exposes retail investors, according to Representative Torres. Rachel Wolfson has it for Cointelegraph. On July the 13th, Judge Annalisa Torres ruled that Ripple's XRP token should not be considered a security when sold on retail digital asset exchanges. Stuart Aldertoy, I think that's how you pronounce it. Chief legal officer at Ripple told Cointelegraph that last week's ruling makes it clear that the United States Securities and Exchange Commission's theory that a token can be an investment contract and therefore a security no longer has support in the law. He said of the ruling, quote, That is not only a huge win for Ripple, but it's a win for all crypto in the United States. The SEC can no longer tout their record in crypto which was, up till now, by and large, settlements with players that didn't have the resources to fight back. When, While this may be, New York Representative Richie Torres told Cointelegraph that the Ripple decision reveals a cruel irony in securities law. He said, quote, It protects institutional investors while leaving retail customers exposed, even though the latter arguably requires more protection than the former. For me, the lack of protection for retail investors underscores the fierce urgency around passing a market structure bill to protect the average American consumer. Torres elaborated on this remark, commenting on his plan to help ensure the passing of a crypto market structure bill and his support for blockchain technology and cryptocurrency innovation. Torres, the Southern District of New York's decision makes two critical distinctions. First, it draws a distinction between securities and assets that are part of investment contracts which qualify as securities under the Howey test. The decision establishes what I describe as the Torres Rule, which holds that digital assets are not in themselves securities that can be sold as investment contracts that qualify as securities under the Howey test. Secondly, it distinguishes between institutional buyers and retail buyers. If you are an institutional buyer that purchases a crypto token directly from an issuer or a promoter, then that transaction is a security offering. But, 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 if you are a retail consumer purchasing a crypto token on an exchange, that transaction is somehow different from an investment contract and falls outside of the scope of securities laws. Now, here's the question coming from Cointelegraph. You mentioned that the lack of protection for retail investors underscores the fierce urgency around passing a market structure bill to protect the average American consumer. Can you please explain that? Torres responds, the U.S. House of Financial Services Committee is presently considering two bills. One is about stablecoins. The other is about market structure. The combination of the Ripple decision and the market structure bill would create a rigorous yet workable framework for regulating digital assets. The Ripple decision protects the crypto industry from arbitrary enforcement action and from Gary Gensler's practice of regulation by enforcement. But a crypto market structure bill would protect retail investors from bona fide bad actors. Cointelegraph asks, What are you doing to help ensure the passing of a crypto market structure bill? Torres. I have been actively negotiating with the Republicans in the House Financial Services Committee to get the crypto market structure bill right. There is no substitute for legislation and Gary Gensler's strategy for regulation has put retail customers at risk. However, I think that both Congress and the SEC should strive to be merit neutral with respect to cryptocurrency. The role of policymakers is not to determine the utility of blockchain technology for society. Rather, our role is to create a framework for regulating digital assets and protecting investors and consumers. That's our mandate, regardless of personal feelings about the utility of crypto. Cointelegraph asks, what are your thoughts on cryptocurrency and blockchain? Torres, I personally believe that blockchain technology and cryptocurrency have the potential to create a better, cheaper, and faster payment system while enabling a new layer of the internet commonly known as Web3. Uh, But in order for crypto and blockchain to have a fighting chance of succeeding, a regulatory framework and clarity is required. Clarity is the cornerstone of compliance. Any final thoughts, sir? Even after the Ripple case, the status quo remains unacceptable because retail consumers are exposed. Therefore, I have two objectives. The first is to protect crypto innovators from enforcement by regulation, which the Ripple decision accomplishes. The second objective, and most importantly, is to protect retail customers. That is where the need for legislation now comes into play. Torres, the guys at Ripple... And this representative, Torres, referring to the judge at first, none of these people understand what's going on. They think they do. You may think they do, but they don't. They just don't. There's no need to protect Ripple because Ripple is a bad actor in the space. That's fucking clear. Retail investors are exposed. This is pretty much the only thing that I agree with Rep. Torres on. Retail customers are definitely exposed. And there is no recourse for the retail investor should it turn out that they bought a you know steaming pile of crap. And in, like an institutional, there is recourse. They have a chance to be able to get some of their money back, if not all of their money back, depending on how and how and how fast they act. But the retail, there's no hope. There's no hope you got, you know, you got a guy out there living paycheck to paycheck decides that he's going to buy ripple puts, you know, his last $500 into it. Something weird happens and it goes down to two fifty, And he was really thinking that that was going to be his, his way out. And it just never comes back ever because it's the garbage pile that we all recognize it to be there. Who's he going to call? Is he going to call ripple? Say he wants his money back. Nope. He's not going to be able to do that. There's no phone number. Well, I'm sure somebody's got a phone number, but this poor dude sure as shit doesn't have it. You see where this is going? Torres is also right in that this decision protects institutional and not retail, right? So now we've got the institutional uh, perspective and its protection, but what about retail? Is it the fact that retail probably doesn't hold a candle in buying power to institutional? Yeah, that's probably true. But institutional has recourse. Retail does not. The decision by Annalisa Torres has done two things. Actually, Well, it's done at least one thing. Um, it's really muddied the waters as to what the Howey test was all about. It's almost eviscerated the Howey test in its standing. And I guess number two, this is where it really comes in. It's not just alt season that I'm concerned about. This applies to anybody. It doesn't have to be a digital token. It can be anything. It can be an investment contract on a piece of land that doesn't exist. I, it, it, it can be anything because as long as you don't sell it directly to an investor or, well, to an institution and somehow or another you unload that shit on an exchange and the exchange sells it for you, well, apparently you're, you can do whatever you want. And because of that, the scum of the earth are going to rise up, and it's going to become even darker. You thought it was bad already. You've not seen anything yet, and this is all because of one person, Annalisa Torres. It's the 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 pain and the amount of messages that have the heading of uh, a suicide hotline number. That's all on her. That's all on Annalisa. And I don't think anybody's actually written her a personal letter to tell her what the gravity of her mistake actually is. And that shit should actually come from retail. You know, if you choose to write that letter and send it to the Southern District of New York Federal Court, Annalisa Torres, judge, you know, do so with proper language, proper formatting. You know, just tell tell her, if you so choose to do it, that what she's done is going to absolutely, physically, in reality, kill people because they're going to lose their life savings because every idiot under the sun now knows the pathway to not go to jail for selling crap on the street to people that can't afford to buy it. It's sad. It really is. It's very, very sad. But we must move on. UK government rejects proposal to classify crypto as gambling. (laughs) Uh, Navish Rustgi for Decrypt.co, the United Kingdom's His Majesty's Treasury has rejected a House of Commons Treasury Committee recommendation to classify crypto trading as gambling, stating that it firmly disagrees with it. A cross-party committee of members of parliament proposed the law change back in May of 2023. In its official recommendation, the committee argued that crypto assets had, quote, no intrinsic value and cautioned against regulating them as financial assets as it could create a halo effect that misleads consumers into believing that this activity is safer or protected when it is not. Responding to the committee's concerns on July the 19th, Andrew Griffith, Economic Secretary for the Treasury, stated that such regulation would be contrary to global standards and could drive crypto asset activity offshore, while also failing to address certain risks such as market manipulation or improper disclosures associated with trading them. The report further added that a financial services regulatory framework is more appropriate for addressing the risks of unbacked crypto assets and creating the conditions for safe innovation. The official statement from the government also highlighted recent progress made in crypto regulations. It includes laws against misleading advertisements and progress made with passing the financial services and markets bill into law to regulate crypto and stable coins. The FSMB quote will be enforced by late 2023, wrote the government authority. The report also mentioned the Royal Mint NFT saying that the launch remains canceled for the present, but the proposal will be kept under review. So in this particular case, the UK government is just, they're not going to, you know, include this as gambling. And while you might think that that's good, this kind of unlocks another part of what's coming with alt season because of Annalisa Torres. And again, I speak her name, so as the sole progenitor of the shit storm that is to come. I mean, it's it's like fucking Gotham City out here, man. It's just run by criminals. And they're just letting the criminals run free. Do you think that all of a sudden, a veil of... You know, of enlightenment is going to fall across the masses of humanity and only the good people with good ideas that are really actually trying to do something will take part in the avenue that has been opened up by Annalisa Torres. No, the majority of those fucking people are going to be scum of the earth that do nothing but steal your money. And if you willingly give them your money, then you deserve everything that you get because you're going to get nothing. Let's run the numbers. West Texas Intermediate Earl is selling up 0.36% at $75.62. Brent North Sea is up 0.13% to $79.56. Natural gas is up, wow, 5.72% to $2.75. A thousand And gasoline is up 0.15 to two seventy two A gallon gold, uh, tracking Bitcoin here, is down 0.4% to and sixty cents. Silver is down 1.56%. Platinum down just over 2%. Copper is the only winner today. It's up almost half a point. Palladium, biggest loser, 2.48% to the downside. Ag is fully mixed. Biggest loser today gonna be corn, 1.63% to the downside. Biggest winner is coffee, over two points to the up. I got live cattle down 0.8%. Lean hogs up over 3%. Wow, feeder cattle is down 082 uh, indices having problems themselves in equities. <clears throat> Dow is up 0.66 percent, but S and P is down 0.43. Nasdaq taking a wild dump. Points uh, no 1.68 percent to the downside. S and P Mini is down two thirds of a point. Real money is struggling at $29,712.36. That's after 343,000 BTC changed hands in the last 24 hours. We got an average transaction value of 0.81 BTC. A median transaction value of $18. Block times are high, 11 minutes and five seconds. We got 0.15 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 20 taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. With a 10.7% decrease in hash rate, we're back to 379.5 exahashes per second. And Doge, your shitcoin indicator is at seven United States pennies. We got a $578.9 billion market cap. That is now 4.44% of gold's market cap. There is 19,434,474.34. That's a lot of fours. BTC in circulation, four thousand nine hundred forty eight point two one of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $147.4 million. That's a lot of fours. Uh, We got 16,355 nodes that we know about, 69,320 payment channels, and 70.5% of all that's being run over Tor. Mempools are filling up. Uh, 100 and I don't know, looks to me it's going to be about 151 151 blocks carrying 295,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear. High priority transactions selling uh, for 22 satoshis per V byte, low priority is 19. Anything under 3.79 satoshis are being purged from mempools. And I am number nine. So I'm back in the top 10 thanks to you guys on the Fountain app charts. This is from yesterday's show. I've got Nick underscore dose with three, four, five, six says skin covered sacks of bones rotting in the forest are great fertilizer. Let it happen. Yeah, probably should. Itsy Bitsy Hoddle with 3000 says, keep up the good work. Appreciate the daily takes. That said, if you were to do a once a month evergreen episode, you could stockpile those and have a catalog to pull from when on vacation. Deep dives on anything permaculture, Bitcoin, gaming, or otherwise would have staying power and could populate pop pod feeds while you aren't able to do a daily show. Just a thought. Yeah, I tried to do that, uh, this last time by, uh, uh re-upping some of my old interviews. And uh, you know, I think I did – I put Comfrey up there again, and I put uh, – I want to say Black Locust Tree up there again. I think I did one and two, a couple of interviews, or at least one interview with Texas Slim and Untapped Growth. And <clears throat> and it just – somehow or another, it just – it didn't seem t- to work. So I'm having to build back um, my listenership. I I guess that's what I'm doing. Regardless of those and those are, you know, can be considered fairly evergreen, but I definitely, I definitely understand what you're saying. Um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Thank you, Itsy Bitsy Hoddle for reinforcing that idea in my head that that's going to have to happen Fatoshi. 2101 says, thanks for the analysis on the cripple versus Gary ruling. Uh, Based Batman21 with 2100 says, large-scale miners like Marathon and Riot are not tenable as long-term business models. Using leverage and selling profits to, quote, grow doesn't seem like a good long-term scheme. Even a BTC price increase, I feel, would not help their situation. Bullish on home and small-scale miners, though. The more decentralized the nodes and miners, the more secure Bitcoin becomes. Yeah, that's always that love-hate relationship between giant miners and the centralization that they kind of represent. Eh, that's a, it's, There's so much nuance there that it's not even funny. Still, though, I agree. And I think what really is going to make that shit take off is the commodification of ASICs. Uh, saw I actually saw something on Nostra yesterday. A guy uh, hooked up his, what did he do? He hooked up his uh, clothes dryer to an ASIC. One machine, one machine. And it was a new dryer. It wasn't like a piece of shit dryer. And he kind of like, you know, he, he did all the things to make this thing work. And <clears throat> it was amazing because he was reading the, um, he was reading the, Temperature from the exhaust port that is outside his house, you know, your general dryer exhaust port, it was like 161 degrees Fahrenheit, and that was after drying clothes, or while it was drying clothes, so... I expect more of that. I really do. I expect a lot more commodification of ASICs to happen, but I think we're gonna to have to wait on that a little while because there's still the frenzy in big corporate mining. We'll we'll have to see. Monored says boost LFG with 1758. Dubrovko with a thousand says Marsha Marsha Marsha. Jen in Indies with five hundred says boost. Jim Leahy with five hundred says ideas for the show, more educational. For example, specific things like business. Bitcoin fix, what Bitcoin fixes, what is a blockchain, what are consensus mechanisms, hashing algorithms, what makes the Bitcoin network secure, maybe a case study of the progress El Salvador has made since adopting Bitcoin, etc. I only speak for myself and I have loved your show since what I feels like, feel like is forever. You're the reason I became a Bitcoiner and I love you, brother. Keep on killing it. Ah, oh, Jim, dude, that was a, some, some nice words. Thank you, bro. Pies with 500 says, thank you, sir. Top 10 LFG. We did it, bro. We did it. DeFi Yogi with 250 says, man, you said you don't care about low boots. Hold on. Make sure I'm reading this right. Man, you said you don't care about low boots and I feel shame for... So low boost. But I really want you to know that your podcast is the best in my daily basis. And I laugh a lot with you, dude. I live in the country yard and I completely understand what you said in a few episodes back about having more Bitcoiners, moving the local economy. It takes time. I also rent cabins, very, very special ones. Thanks so much for the amazing work and dedication from Yogi in Brazil. Ah, man, Brazil. Ah, Brazil. The wild hustle finishes us off with a hundred sat says boosting to get you higher on the charts. Great show as always. Thanks to every single one of you. It does. Like I said, man, it doesn't matter if it's low boost or, or not, you know, having you guys here with me on the show is kind of a special thing and I'm not going to stop doing it. Even if you only boost me one Satoshi, there's your weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. We got a blog post out of Blockstream uh, written by Chase Smith and was posted yesterday. Remember, this is Blockstream and it's a blog, so kind of news, but I had to get it from Blockstream themselves. Increasing interoperability between Bitcoin's second layer protocols. Okay. The prevailing wisdom is that in order to achieve hyper-Bitcoinization, Bitcoin should scale in layers. The current discussion or debate is mainly centered around which layer two solution is best suited for this. Growing evidence suggests, however, that there isn't a one size fits all approach, but rather many complementary protocols, each addressing different problems and catering to specific use cases and markets. <clears throat> each second layer addresses a unique set of limitations inherent in the main chain, such as the lack of high transaction throughput, privacy, or the ability to issue assets. For example, if you want to send a friend a small amount of sats and value affordability and speed, lightning is likely the best option. Whereas if you have a financial institution wanting to issue an asset like a bond or a digital security, it makes more sense to use liquid there are also varying trade-offs when using each solution that may affect a user's decision to opt in, like Lightning's liquidity constraints or the trust requirements, albeit distributed, seen with federated models such as liquid and fediment. In Creator Baroque, sorry, as Creator Barak has openly shared, even the newest addition to the Layer 2 landscape arc has trade-offs. With the main chain and other L2s, like the old analogy of choosing the right tool for the job, in a hyper-Bitcoinized world, users can expect to have a toolkit of Layer 2s at their disposal with different capabilities and trade-offs. Increasing interoperability Often overlooked is the importance of interoperability between not only the second-layer protocol in Bitcoin, but the Layer 2 protocols themselves. A second layer, where end users can leverage several protocols together and move seamlessly between them, creates a healthier, more resilient financial system and an overall better user experience, both essential for mass adoption. For example, by running Lightning on top of Liquid, users gain greater privacy, additional liquidity, and cheaper fees. While both Liquid and Lightning networks operate independently, they are complementary and interoperable, offering a secure alternative method to stacking sats or a more cost-effective option to Lightning channel rebalancing, especially when fees are high on the main chain. Elements, the open source code base that Liquid is built on, is designed to be as close to parity with Bitcoin Core as possible. This not only offers some nice security guarantees, but also greater interoperability with L2s, given that its design functions very similarly to Bitcoin. The basis of Lightning is its network of payment channels, which are fundamentally made possible through Bitcoin's unspent transaction outputs, or UTXOs, in conjunction with Lightning's hashed time-lock contracts, or HTLCs. The UTXO model allows certain script conditions and hash puzzles and time constraints to be encoded in the transaction for payment to be securely routed across Lightning. One of the many design features that Liquid inherits from Bitcoin is its UTXO model. This compatibility allows Lightning's HTLCs to function with Liquid Bitcoin or LBTC in a manner similar to how they function with Bitcoin enabling the payment network to operate on top of Liquid. Note that this lightning network on Liquid would run as a separate network but with all the advantages of Liquid as its underlying chain. You could even bridge the two networks if you ran both, one on top of Bitcoin, the other on Liquid for greater cross-platform compatibility. The payments remained end-to-end secure since both use the HTLC construction. The bridge, however, gets to dictate a dynamic exchange rate if the two assets being transferred are different, which is not an issue when transferring BTC and LBTC since that they are pegged. Lightning's inherent decentralization, wide adoption, and compatibility with UTXO-based technologies could position it as the connective tissue between each L2. It could act as a primary hub for new protocols seeking to bridge to existing protocols, helping to avoid the chicken and egg problem of adoption that has plagued new protocols in the past. This thesis has begun to play out more recently with several big name exchanges adding Lightning and swap platforms incorporating Liquid with Lightning to leverage the benefits of both protocols. In early May, on-chain Bitcoin transaction costs surged due to network congestion, resulting in the highest fees seen in nearly two years. This affected major exchanges like Binance and Coinbase and even some Lightning-compatible wallets like Moon. Pricing... Some users out of the market entirely. This week long episode underscored the importance of hardening scalability solutions like Lightning, which have so far relied on main chain transactions to keep liquidity balanced. The event also raised awareness of the powerful benefits of using Layer 2 tech together, especially when fees on Bitcoin's main chain are not only high but also volatile. One of the new products in market driven by this episode is the use of liquid submarine swaps by Bolts to offer cheap lightning channel liquidity to its users. As opening a lightning channel requires an on-chain transaction and many users rely on the main chain to add liquidity to their lightning node, costs can quickly add up in high fee conditions. By using the liquid sidechain instead of the Bitcoin mainchain as the underlying liquidity source, users can rebalance their lightning channels independently from the congested mainchain mempool and do so without losing self-custody of their funds thanks to the atomic nature of the swap. In a high-fee scenario, users can expect upward of 99% savings using the liquid swap feature. Bolts intends to expand the scope of their liquid integration by building an LBTC to BTC chain-to-chain atomic swap for trustless pegouts, which is the first of its kind. You can read more about Bolt's decision to add liquid and why in their write-up here. Continuing with the blog post, another option for users is the self-hosted rebalancing protocol PeerSwap which allows lightning node operators to rebalance their channels with peers directly using BTC and LBTC atomic swaps. This setup eliminates the need for a third-party coordinator for even greater savings and allows smaller nodes to better compete with larger ones. Peer swap is currently available for both CLN and LND implementations. That's core lightning node, by the way, for CLN. The story does not end there. In addition to provisioning Lightning liquidity with Liquid, users turned to Lightning to Lightning swaps to stack sats, and humbly, I might add, many used a cheap starting point like Strike, Cash App, or some other fiat on-ramp to buy Lightning Bitcoin directly and then moved to one of the growing number of Lightning to Liquid swap services like Bolts, SideShift, or Classic Coin O's to convert to LBTC for hodling for the midterm. So why would anyone hodl in LBTC rather than LNBTC? Unlike with Lightning, liquid assets can be self-custodied offline in cold storage, like on a hardware device such as Jade. This setup is better for hodling over longer timeframes, another difference to consider when deciding what layer two solution is best for you in your specific use case. Some builders are already working on improving the Bitcoin Layer 2 user experience by directly integrating swaps and multi-protocol support into their app offerings. For example, the Blockstream Green team is in the final stages of adding Lightning capability via Greenlight, giving Bitcoiners the ability to self-custody Mainchain, Liquid, and Lightning all in one application. Green, Sideswap, and the soon-to-be-released version of the Aqua Wallet also plan to incorporate in-app Lightning to Liquid swaps using the Boltz API. Wallaby, a newly anointed Bitcoin super app, supports the custody of Mainchain, Liquid, and Rootstock with further plans to add Lightning and RGB. The Walby, <clears throat> Walby team is also placing emphasis on features. For instance, users can already add Bitcoin and other digital assets to liquidity pools and earn interest through an automated market maker with the ability to lend and borrow peer-to-peer and perform cross-chain swaps also on the way. The emergence of these Bitcoin super apps And new features like in-app swaps prioritize improving user experience, something the Bitcoin space is notoriously bad at. This pivot and Lightning's maturation as a sort of lingua franca of Bitcoin will be a crucial part of the strategy for increasing Layer 2 interoperability and facilitating mass adoption. Each protocol will have a unique place in the hyper-Bitcoinization story ending in a second layer that is stronger than each individual protocol on its own. All right, so that's the blog post. Now, you know what this, the, reading this, it just, it just, it struck me. When I was new to Bitcoin, we're talking 2015, I'm walking around late 2015, early 2016, you know, like I'm, I'm literally circling the drain of the rabbit hole at this point. And one of the things that I kept hearing about was side chains, drive chains. This was before Liquid or Liquid. Well, yeah, it was before Liquid, but it was before Lightning. It was be, before even the Lightning white paper was released because that wasn't done until 2017, right? And then it was two years before we had an implementation of Lightning. So this is well before that. I'm I'm on my day, you know, was on one of my daily walks uh, at work at Texas Tech on on the campus. I'm listening to. God only knows what Bitcoin podcast it was probably the Bitcoin Knowledge podcast, but I remember listening to, and this was before I was Bitcoin only. Also, I had I had bought some ETH, I held, held Dogecoin, I had BTC, I was all in, brother. <clears throat> the notion of side chains really fascinated me because I was like, this is before I you know before I figured out that all the rest of this shit is just nothing but fucking scams. But before that time. I was like, wow, you can swap Doge for Bitcoin and Bitcoin for Ethereum, and it's going to make this huge network and everything's going to be great. And then, of course, the bottom starts falling out of the market in 2017 to, you know, up to, well, 2017. And then, you know, it became evident after uh, 2018 that most of this stuff was just garbage and it was just a whole bunch of hucksters trying to steal your money, and they, they did. But in either event, the thought of this interoperability, this swapping of of tokens was fascinating because the way that I looked at it at the time is sort of the way that I look at only Bitcoin now. But it's the mycelial network of mushrooms underneath your feet, especially in forest soils that connect all the different trees together and move water and nutrients between them. Um, because that happens. These, the, You go out into a forest and you you see, oh, look at that one tree. I see them all. You have to actually literally see the whole forest because it's a gigantic macro organism. Why? Because they're all, they're all in sidechains. They're literally in chains. side sidechains. Sidechains was invented by mother nature hundreds of millions of years ago. This is nothing new, but, but what I'm fascinated with now is that Bitcoin remains the main chain the interoperability rises instead of swapping Bitcoin for some shitcoin. Now we place it at the second layer and that will become the third layer too. But the second layer interoperability between all these different layer twos is the same function as Bitcoin swapping to any one of the other shitcoins, except without what? Without getting rugged. Not to say that there won't be some huckster that comes up with a quote-unquote layer two solution that is only designed to steal your Bitcoin, but you'll have to come to that when you come to it. Regarding Liquid L2, all these uh, you know, all well, Liquid Lightning and any of the other L2s that are on the uh, that are just now being released or or in the planning stages or in the implementation stages, that same thing is going to happen. Why? Is it because it's necessary? Maybe. Is it because it's going to make a whole bunch of people a lot of money? Maybe. Is it because it facilitates ease of being able to do a lot more stuff? Yeah, probably. But that's not why. The forest is the teacher. The forest already figured out that side chains are important. But it only facilitates water, minerals, sugars, these types of things, these basic building blocks of, of, of organic life on the face of this planet, it already figured it out. We're just copying it and we can't do anything but copy it because we evolved on this planet. Whether we noticed the mycelial mat or not, somehow It programmed us to think the exact same way. So we're going to end up building the exact same way that the forest builds. Even if we didn't know that we were doing it. That's why the forest is the teacher. Don't ever forget that. Next time you go, you're going to go to the woods. You know, like you're going to go hunting or you're going to go to a cabin or you're going to go, you know, something like that. And you don't live in a forest all the time. Walk into a forest and hold a question in your head that you want answered. Keep that question in your head as you walk around. The forest will present the answer to you. You only have to see it. The answer to every question you have is there. I know that sounds stupid, but if you don't find your answer, it's simply because you're not opening your eyes wide enough. All right, we are 62 minutes in. I'm going to go ahead and close this one out. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes. Why do the French eat snails? Because they don't like fast food. <laughs> All right. Make sure you visit my friend Oak Grove, A.K.A. Dubrovko, on Noster and ask him all about black soldier fly, and if you can pick up some black soldier fly larvae from him when the time comes that you want to pick it up because you're tired of throwing out food. Because even if you scrape, you know, scrape your plate, you have got you know like a couple of spoonfuls of rice still left on it. There's no reason that shit should go to the landfill. That shit should go to black soldier fly, litigate processed into frass, which you can use later and then harvest, or actually you don't even have to harvest the the larvae, the black soldier fly larvae yourself. You do it right. They will harvest their own selves into a bucket. You just come out in the morning, take the bucket and throw it to your chickens and you will be giving them high fat, high protein, high calcium food. You may not even you know your 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 food your feed cost on your chickens should actually materially plummet depending on how much food you start with and if your black soldier fly bin is in is in good order and honestly it's it's a lot easier than you might think and I'll talk about that when I finally finally finish the damn black soldier fly episode um other than that spend some time the people talk about touching grass all the time touch a forest If you've got one anywhere close to you, you can get there in 30 minutes, then drive, go up a national forest access road. If you're in the United States, it's the best way to get into a forest. That's why they call it national, you know, a national forest access road. That's how you access a national forest, pull off on the side of the damn road, get the hell out of the car and walk deep into the forest, take water and take a question. And I'll see you on the other side.